You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. <laughs> Yo, picture me rolling. Uh, I got my co-host Dietrich back in again. That's right. And then uh, for the guest today, we got the big homie, Esteban Oriol, uh, photographer, director extraordinaire. Everybody knows. Uh, I'm sure y'all seen the documentary recently dropped on Netflix, LA Originals, and. Everybody knows the famous L.A. Hands. He's the man responsible for that for that classic L.A. flick. And, uh, you know, welcome. Thanks for coming down. I appreciate your time, bro. No problem. We get a lot of uh, cannabis-related guests, but it's nice to have, uh, you know, not that you're not in the, the, the cannabis field, because I feel like you guys kind of pioneered it in some ways, but, uh, you know, you come from a film background, so that's cool to have an artist on. And, uh, you know, I'm a big fan, so I appreciate it. That's right. Thank you. Uh, crazy times right now with all these fires going on and shit. LA's a smoky, smoky madness. Yeah, it's good for good for all the weed heads. Right? Fuck. Um, Camouflage of smoke. Yeah. <laughs> Whole state got high. Yeah, yeah, for real, for real. That shit's nuts. I, I walked out of my warehouse and I was like, I literally walked out and I felt like it was like a campfire and shit today. I wonder how many weed fields burned down. So many, bro. I mean, it's sad, too, because I got so many homies that, like, I know that, like, up to Oregon, even, they lost properties and their houses. And, and like, even if, <laughs> even if you're, like, three quarters through the season and you got all this money involved and, and you're fucking in your outdoor and your greenhouse and then the smoke just comes and it spares your property, but, like, <laughs> your shit's done, bro. It's a yeah. wrap. You know what I mean? It's like you just got some some grade A fucking light depth that smells like campfire now and you're about yeah. to run that shit in a distillate and you're like, damn, I'm gonna be upside down on this year. That shit Easy. is, that's a heartbreaker, bro. But Can what a imagine? coincidence those dudes go legal and then their shit get burnt down. Yeah, I know. We were talking about that, me and Dietrich. These forever the conspiracy theorists, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, if the money if the money makes sense, then, you know, I never I never count. You know, never count out a villain. Hey, all things are fair in love and war. Yeah, you're right. You ain't wrong. Uh, let me get a lighter, dog. Um, well, let's talk about uh, one thing that interests me is you used to be the the tour manager for House of Pain um, and then uh, also for Cypress. And that, that interests me for this for this show because, you know, it's a, it's a cannabis-based show. And like I said, you guys, you guys kind of made that... Uh, that life uh y'all made it okay you know what i mean for the y'all the first to like really rep it hard and and be out there in the front with the with the weed hats on on the high time shows and really doing it with the rock bands and and hip-hop was kind of like faux pas still at that time especially you know i remember my aunt telling me that hip-hop was a it was just a fad and it wasn't it was gonna the devil's music you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. and she you know she's a white christian lady but she didn't go that far but she told me Straight up, I liked rap music, and, and at the time it was like gangster rap coming about, and like original NWA and like two live crew type stuff, and she was like, that shit's a fad, it's never gonna last, and here we are sitting here and it's popular music, and it's, and it's literally changing pop culture and what people accept and don't accept, and how'd you get, uh, how'd you get hooked up with, uh, with Everlast and end up, uh, end up on tour with those cats? Uh, I first met Everlast at uh, some of the clubs that I was working at down 
in downtown in Hollywood. I was a doorman, and uh, I used to see when he would come in with um, with the Rhyme Syndicate, with uh, Ice-T and all them. And uh, that's when I first, you know, met him and, and a lot of other bands. And then uh, I met up with Muggs in 89. And uh, he'd come to the clubs too, and then we started kicking it. And he took me down to Cypress Ave uh, in around '89. And uh, then in '92, he told me, "Hey, I got this uh, these white boys coming out with a, a new group." And at that time, there was like Third Base and and uh, Vanilla Ice. So I was hoping it was more towards uh, the Third Base side. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, exactly. No, totally. He goes, oh no, yeah, you know them. It's uh, it's Everlast. I go, oh fuck yeah, let's do this. Yeah. So then me, him, and Everlast had dinner, and he was like, would you know, you want to be a tour manager, a road manager? I was like, yeah. What do I got to do? And they said, you just check us in the hotels, you know, make sure we get on our flights on time, do the interviews, and you know, it's pretty simple. But at the beginning, it was like, uh, you know, we can't pay you, but we'll pay for everything like your flights, your hotels, and we'll give you spending money for food and, you know, just just to keep you covered to where you're not spending any money. So I told both of my bosses, the construction guy during the day and the club guys at night, you know, can I do this for the summer and come back and have my job? And they were both cool. They are like, fuck yeah, you know, we're, we're bummed that you're going, but we don't want to hold you back. We know this could be a good experience, so... That was that, you know. I ended up going on tour with them. We first did the promo tour, and then by the end of that little first promo tour, which was maybe a couple weeks or a month, Jump Around, Jump Around had uh, started hitting the radio and, and started blowing up. And then uh, we started doing some show dates with that with that song, and uh, you know where you just come in and do one song and then you leave, and. Uh, we did a tour with Beastie Boys, and they told us, you know, um, by the end of this tour, you guys will be able to tour on your own. And we didn't get through that whole tour because uh, we got kicked off. We were a little too rowdy for them. And, uh, <laughs> for Beastie Boys. Yeah. Yeah. It's not It's not them, you know what I mean? No, like, no, no, no. It's the, for the organization. It's their, their crew, you know, yeah. the people that work for them, but... You know, even at that time, they were, they were probably, they were more in the professional side of it. You yeah, know? they had, they had passed their party days, I'm sure, at that point. Yeah, they'd been doing that shit since the early 80s. Yeah. I saw them open up for Madonna in 1984 in uh, San Diego. That's crazy. And uh, like they were just urgent. doing punk rock shit yeah. back then. So it was, it was cool. You know, we got kicked off that tour and the, the agent was like, you know what? There's a blessing, you know? We're going to fucking put you on your own tour and, you know, fuck it. You, now it's time to make some money. So that's what we did. And uh, went on tour and just started smashing and killing it and uh, went around, you know, all the states. We had uh, Corn opening up for us. We had Rage Against the Machine opening up for us. Huge. When they first were coming out and we were like, fuck, man, these dudes are going to kill it, you know? Yeah. And then... Um, the guys had a hard time getting along and when we toured uh, 92, 93, 94 and then it was over. Just House of Pain as a band. Yeah. Yeah. And one day it was just like Enough, enough is enough. All right, that's it. 
Yeah. You know? So I was like, fuck, man, now what do I do, you know? Go back to construction and working the doors again and checking people's ID and dealing with a bunch of drunk fucking idiots coming yeah. out every night. Uh, 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 you know, you're like, Not quite the glamour you had on tour, like a yeah, smooth-ass like, job. Yeah, we were coming out of the 80s, you know, the... the the rock and roll days where it was like, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You yeah. Know, we were right in the in the beginning of the next wave, which was, you know, hip-hop, sex, and drugs, you know? So yeah. We were having the time of our life. And, um, you know, and then I had to think, like, well, you know, I'm coming back to the good old, uh, you know, construction, you know, swinging a hammer and fucking checking IDs. I was kind of bummed out, but I, you know. Send your blood, homes. It is what it is, you know. So <laughs> I, I told the homies, hey, I, I, I called the mugs and B-Rail. I was like, hey, these dudes are, they're done. So, you know, thank you guys for the opportunity. And, uh, you know, it was a great time. I got to travel the world and see some good shit and, you know, hang out with some cool people and it's over. And they go, no, nah, you know what? Our, our road manager fucked up, so we got a spot open for you, you know, right here. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah. So my first show with uh, Cypress Hill was Woodstock 94. Wow. And it was, um, Bobo had was on tour with BC Boys, and it, that was their day off, and he didn't tell them. He was just like, you know, I'll be in my room kicking it. And he got on the plane, flew to New York. Me and him met up in New York because I was coming from L.A. And we took a uh, helicopter with two of the members from Jefferson Airplane. Mm-hmm. So it was just us four with the with the two captains and the or the two pilots in the front. And uh, it was a trip flying into fucking backstage of Woodstock fucking in insane. a helicopter with two of the people that <laughs> were at the original Woodstock. At the know? original Woodstock. Yeah, like 500,000 people. You just see just, that shit and you're coming in backstage and you're like, and I'm in a fucking helicopter. You know, like, yeah. fuck, man. <laughs> Everybody else had to come in by boat or um, by helicopter because the, <coughs> the fans had had the roads blocked off. You know, there's no, if there's 500,000 people coming yeah, to a show, nowhere. not even the bands could get no. in the, that way. So they had to be creative and be like, okay, we got boats in it and helicopters. What a scene, 500,000 from a helicopter flying into the remake of the most historic concert ever. Yeah. You only see that in zombie movies. Like, for real, for real. Like, that's way too know, many people. It's that experience. I bet that <laughs> feeling was like, Oh, sure, yeah. that's one of the highs and and like the euphoric feeling in life. You know yeah, what I mean? That's why of seeing I'm bringing like, it up, I'm bringing yeah. it up. You know, because that was one of the fucking craziest that, those things I've that ever you're seen. Just like, <gasps> yeah. And when we when we came in the backstage, um, Henry Rollins was on stage, the Henry okay. Rollins band. Yeah. And you know the crowd is hyped. You know it's fucking Henry Rollins. You know he got more energy than yeah. you know half them motherfuckers out there. So, you know he was doing his thing, and then. You seen Cypress come out and it was, they destroyed it. You know, like the whole 500,000 people were jumping and, you know, throwing people. And uh, they had, it had rained before the they put on the show. So there was plywood all underneath everybody. And you would see people like separating and they'd pick up sheets of plywood and hold them up. And then people would get on top of those pieces of plywood and they were actually crowd surfing on pieces of wow. plywood so that shit was fucking outrageous and then the thing a thing that B and, and uh, Everlast and Sendog would always do at every show is jump into the crowd so 
they made the signal like, hey, we're going to go. And I was like, fuck, man, are you, are you sure? You know, because I had to be the one to get them out. Because this ain't no regular crowd. This is yeah, like this get is lost and, and it's going to be a minute. Yeah. In one place. So we went went down off the stage and sure enough, he fucking jumped in the crowd. And there, <laughs> there goes the shoes, the fucking shirts getting ripped off his neck. He's trying to hold uh, the mic and he's trying to hold his shirt because they were pulling the shirt so hard that it was choking him. Yeah, I bet. So then it was Send Dog jumped in and they ripped his shirt off and <clears throat> they had, you know they came back looking like those uh, shirts from Flashdance <laughs> with uh, Jennifer Beals. <laughs> that shit was good though. Yeah, good times. The best part about it was they uh, they like your homie they left him in the desert. Yeah, <laughs> and they left me backstage with all the equipment. So, like, the manager was all pumped up. He's like, hey, come on, the van's here, the van's here. You know, let's let's get in, guys. Let's go back to the hotel. They forgot the crew guy with all the fucking equipment. So, and on big shows like that, there's a van assigned to each band, and it's like you get that van at the end of your show, <laughs> and you go to the hotel. Yeah. And you, that's it. There's no extra van that can take you, or if you want to fuck around and... Stay there. You're you on your own. You missed the van. You're, yeah. You miss the van. You're asked out. Yeah. Well, I missed the van with uh, fucking 15 pieces of equipment because I was the guy breaking the shit down. So I met somebody there that had a their own van, like you know, a hippie van. And I was like, hey, you know, I'll give you some money if you if you can give me a ride back into town to you know take all the equipment and shit. And the, they were like, yeah, whatever, let's go. So. I packed everything in there and, you know, told them I'll give you some Cypress Hill shirts, whatever, you know. They're like, yeah, let's go. So I got a ride back and I was like, they were all in the lobby going, hey, what's up, hey, man, fuck, wow, that shit was crazy. I go, yeah, it was crazy you left me at the fucking backstage with all the fucking equipment. <laughs> and there wasn't no no way you can call somebody. No, or nothing. bro, it's you can't call a taxi no or nothing Uber like that. The helicopter wasn't waiting for me or nothing like that, so... I was asked out, but they're like, "Wow, you made it!" You know, I, yeah. I kind of felt like the kid in, uh, I think it was Bronx Tale or something, yeah. where they like you pop your cherry. Yeah. yeah. Like, hey, you made it! <laughs> oh, popped your cherry. Right when he got out of jail. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I got lucky. Uh, you know, every that's what I learned in life. Out of out of, out of everything, um, it all works out in the end. You know. Everything always you works know, out in the end. If you keep that mindset, I feel like the same thing. Because I've had a life full of experiences like that, too. And like you said, when you got the feeling flying in the helicopter and then yeah. you made your way out, too, it's like, hey, if you know you got a, a mission to a mission to accomplish and you, you know, keep a smile on your face and try to try to charge through it, you'll get yeah. through it. That's dope. Um, good looking out for hippies and vans. Hell yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Cypress was huge because that was like, I mean, in my... I know that you had like walked this way and a couple other things, but Cypress was like the first to break through onto the rock, onto the rock tours and do Lollapalooza and be a huge like respected hip hop band. Yeah. And be be a, a super respected lyricist at the time and uh, and just be successful on some like you know that was still like if you go back and go through the catalog, some grimy shit, bro. That's some yeah. some really right. heavy like street records that even the New York scene wasn't like that. It wasn't that real gangster, you know what I mean? Yeah, our, our whole crew was kind of like that, you know? Like, I remember being on tour with um, even House of Pain, and we did a tour with Helmet mm -hmm. in Japan. 
And then uh, they did that Judgment Night soundtrack where like, they got all these hip-hop groups and they linked them up with rock groups and, you know, did, did a whole album of it. And then, uh, you know, the Lollapaloozas and all that shit just opened that, that up, you know, wide open to where we're one of the only hip-hop bands that would tour with just rock people. Exactly. And play soccer stadiums yeah, in, like, in Europe and, and places, yeah. And, you know, the, we're... Because at a time, hip-hop wasn't... They weren't getting crowds like that. And yeah. not at... Not at, not at they had smaller venues, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't even like that at the time. And, and when we did sets, we performed it like a rock band. You know, yeah, there, totally. There was, most of the guys that were doing hip-hop would just walk back and forth holding their balls and, <laughs> you know, their microphone yeah. in the other hand and just walk back and forth and that's it. That's that was it. the show, you know? Yeah. But Cypress would just fucking go berserk. It and, was a... Um, they would have, you know, mosh pits. Like, I, I want to say Cypress and House of Pain were some of the first hip-hop bands to ever have mosh pits yeah I, i'm sure i remember watching as a kid um i've seen the the woodstock performance and i was a fan uh i think hand on the pump even when we were doing sandlot bro hand on we had disc mans that just came out and we were all buying like rap cds at the time it was right around that time like 90 92 we shot it so one of the first cds that i ever owned was a hand on the pump single cd from from Cypress from the first album, you know what I mean? That was like one of my first actual discs that I had. Uh, so I was a big fan. I remember, yeah, Tommy Boy with the with House of Pain and stuff. I remember yeah. the jackets they had. We were into like the merch and shit. That shit was cool. Um, and obviously, Jump Around changed changed the game because I mean it's still like yeah, it's got to be of one most, of the most spun songs in the yeah. history of songs. I'm sure it's the up there. Played it over the playoffs. Everything. It doesn't matter. It'll never end. Every stadium you're at, it won't matter where yeah, you're you at. No I mean, the, the game will stop and it'll it'll turn on, you know? Yeah. It's fucking nuts. <laughs> it is fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. Um, so, tour managing, and then uh, how did you pick up the camera, bro? I know your dad's an artist as well. What... Uh, it started from being on tour, I'm sure, but, but what, like, what clicked and that became your passion? Well, I just started taking pictures and then, uh, you know, from doing the touring and then I'd come home and hit, hit the low riding scene. And cause I, I had bought a car in 90 or 89 and I started putting it together around 91. It's a 64 Impala SS. And, uh, you know, I, I just started, what I would do with my money was collect records, uh, work on my low rider and, um, and pay for film. Because film's expensive. Oh, fuck yeah, it was. It's expensive, yeah. So that's that's what taught me how to be a better shooter was, you know, I didn't want to just keep clicking away and paying for every photo. So I started paying attention and, you know, taking my time and framing shit right and, and really, you know, because I'm paying for it, so I had to, you know, take my time and do it right. So... I started taking it more serious and then all my homies would be like, hey, let me see those pictures from the tour. And I would watch them looking at the photos and they'd be tripping on them. They, they would just sit stuck on one photo at a time. Mm -hmm. and, and I would see them look at other people's photos and they're just like whip right through, through them. Yeah, like a, like a flip book. And they'd just be like, brrr. Mm -hmm. And then they'd get mine and they'd be like, damn, that's cool. And then they'd make comments like, hey, that shit looks like Time or Life magazine, you know? And I remember, like, Mugs and B-Real, they'd always come over and go, hey, homie, 
you know, like, because uh, me and Cartoon lived together at a at a loft, and I had the downstairs and he had the upstairs, and then we had the all the Joker clothes in there, and we had our lowriders in there too. So I remember, like, our place was like a like a hub, you know, for all mm-hmm. the homies, Soul Assassins. And Muggs got a place across the hall, so he had his studio there. So it was like Joker and, and Muggs Studio. I'm so sure that was like a crazy a, time. Oh, it was fucking incredible. <laughs> <laughs> so we had just like a Soul Assassin's headquarters right there. Yeah. And we were, all the homies would come and kick it. You see like 10, 20 fools every day just kicking it outside. On, it was on a Porter Street in between Mateo and Santa Fe uh-huh. in the 90s. And... Right there, when you get off on uh, Santa Fe and Mateo, yeah, off the ten, we were right there. Like you could run right into us, right next to the L.A. Gun Club. No, yeah, that, yeah. Was the, that was that was that was before, right? Oh, the one yeah. before, yeah. Yeah. So this is the original compound. This is uh, the second one. We had another one on Seventh and Santa Fe. That's where the that's where the tattoo studio was when Tunes was um, tattooing there. No, that was a. Uh, yeah, he he hadn't started really. Tattooing that much there, um, it got. He was doing a little bit of tattooing, but it wasn't like a lot of customers. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until we moved to that other one because that was um, that was when we started having um, you know people that because we were doing a lot of uh, work out of LA Tattoo in Hollywood on Hollywood Boulevard, then Baby Ray and Tunes moved uh to spotlight tattoo shortly after yeah shout, shout out to spotlight yeah that's a classic world ta- famous world world famous yeah um, and baby ray too yeah bobby bob roberts charlie roberts and yeah. baby ray and uh dennis and we were all kicking it there and that was fucking off the chain and then uh when we moved downtown toon just started tattooing out of there and that was the first like soul assassin headquarters right there and uh but once we uh, once we left there, we moved out of there. And we moved to a pad in Buena Park, and then that's when we got Joker moved to by the Gun Club. Okay. In two thousand, and that was uh, headquarters for SA Studios from two thousand to twenty fifteen, I believe. Yeah, I remember coming there with Dietrich and just being like, obviously, I'm like, you know. Y'all were the big homies, and I'm a fan. And it's like, you never know who you're going to run into there. Yeah. It's always a thing. It don't matter yeah. if you're getting tattooed. You don't know who's getting tattooed. You yeah. don't know who's getting shot. Yeah, like, like, you know, it could be doing a photo shoot or filming something. You have no idea. I mean, and it could be anybody, bro, like from any pop to rap to yeah. rock. You don't know who's going to be there or what's going to be going on. It's a, It was a definitely an exciting place. Yeah, we had a lot of shit going on there. That was another, another uh, destination for us. It was, you know... Yeah, you guys touch on that a lot in the film, too. It's like, uh, I think George Lopez called you in tunes uh, like Cholo Da Vinci's. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like straight up, because it's like, and literally that's kind of what it is. It's because it's the first time that you see like, uh, you know, this this South Los Angeles culture and then like the merging of of all this art and stuff that that came around with it. Yeah, Um, it good times. How'd you end up with the famous stance with the camera? The way you hold the camera. I know we got it on the back of the book, on oh. the LA Originals book right here, but it's a very, uh, it's a very, uh, yeah, it's I a very interesting. I've I been shot really by a lot know, of people. I didn't really know how to. I wasn't trained how to use a camera really. You yeah. Know, so I just would. 
that's what felt I was comfortable. just winging it you know yeah and um my dad gave me like a five minute uh photography class yeah and it was basically look through the viewfinder and there's uh the aperture knob on the lens and then there's a speed knob on the top of the camera and you just turn those two knobs until the two needles in the in the inside of the viewfinder meet up and then you're ready to shoot and he, i was like that's it he goes yeah that's it and i was like okay cool so fuck it and then uh i just started uh, going out there and shooting my homies in the low riding scene and shooting on tour and around 2005 everybody was kind of burnt out on touring and you know because you know the the road takes a lot out of you know um, i can only imagine yeah it's like you're driving hours and hours every day or you're doing a show you're stuck at one place all the time and it's like driving hotels venue yeah you know and the next day driving hotels venue the next day driving hotels venue and you're just like fuck man and it does kind of wear you out but you're having and fun we, and that's where you know we'd yeah. have our fun too and uh me and mugs every time we'd hit a new city we're like okay how much time do we have till sound check how much time do we have till showtime and we would just bone out you know put our bags up and just run out and just go see these cities because we're like fuck man who knows if we'll ever come back here exactly yeah we need to just go you know smash out in the streets and see what the fuck is here you know and a lot of times it's just me and him that would roll out and and go to all these cities and we saw a lot of good shit but we didn't really get to enjoy like you know the tour the the traveling life like you see nowadays on instagram you know yeah i mean people think that like yeah you have time to stop and hang out and do whatever and i know just from traveling for work too as well it's like you don't really have time and sometimes you're in places you ain't trying to hang out yeah. and even when you are in a place that you want to go see it's like you might catch a day or yeah. 12 hours or something to like really do uh, it but you don't get to, airplane, to chill you hotel, know yeah job, it's just work hotel, yeah exactly airport. it's monotonous too and it <laughs> yeah. comes to a time where i can you know you miss home yeah so around 2005 they're like man we're tired fuck this and i was like all right well fuck it good thing i know how to take pictures and and do yeah, music videos flipped into the into the so next i just uh, went head first and you know balls to the wall and fucking started shooting shooting my ass off what was your uh, first opportunity to direct a uh, direct a music video or film? Uh, Be real told me, you know, but I it was kind of like uh, I had told him because at that time Dre and Ice Cube I would see their names on credits. Yeah, and so it'd be like you know F Gary Gray slash Ice Cube or you know john singleton or somebody in slash mm -hmm. dre i was like hey b you should fucking direct some videos he was like you should you're the camera guy <laughs> and i was like well, okay if you yeah, could tell the label <laughs> you know like tell the label fucking uh you know to hook it up i'm down so he told the label and they said send us a, a reel you know of all your work and i was like well i never done it before so how the fuck am i supposed to send a reel but I had had a bunch of uh, 8mm and 16mm footage and I chopped it up using two VCRs. I would press play and then I'd press record on the other one and I would just take pieces of footage. Fuck. And then I would play a song on the cassette player or CD player next to it. So I had like two VCRs with two TVs and a, C, uh, a CD player. So I'd play the music to, you know, get the vibe and then I would chop it up like VCR to VCR. And after that, I took it to a place in Hollywood that would lay down the music over that 
VHS uh -huh. and then spit it out on another thing. So I had the music with the with the footage and I, I was like, fuck, I, this is all I can do. So I sent that in and they're like, okay, fuck, that's right, we see that. So they uh, gave me the first, they gave me a video and my first budget was like 20 G's, which is nowadays is like, a lot. <laughs> you could do a, you know, yeah. a 10 part, you know, TV series for yeah. that. I put it out <laughs> Back on YouTube then, for free. That wasn't much to work with, but shooting on film. Yeah, 20 years ago, you know, 20 G's was like you're giving somebody some food stamps to yeah. do a video. And I was like, well, fuck it, you know, this ain't shit, you know, because I was shooting before on my own money. I was like, I could do this. Yeah. Did that one. They liked it. Next one, they gave me like 30 grand. Next one, I got like 50. The next one, 80. And just kept going up. I was like, fuck, yeah, this is. There's a shit right here. But when people hear those numbers, they're like, oh, damn, he made 50, then he made 80, and then this. No, that's like, the budget for the video. Yeah, the whole crew got <laughs> yeah. that money. Yeah, yeah. And back then there was a rule. If you're the director, you get 10%. So if a video budget was eight, 80000 no matter how much they spent or how much was going to be used, I was only getting get, 8000 Gotcha. So... You know, and it's a couple weeks worth of work. Yeah, you know, bro, you're doing the, the yeah. treatment, you're hiring the crew, you're looking at reels and you're looking at locations and then you uh, shoot the video, then you got to do the editing Yeah, and all that shit. So it was it's a couple a lot of work. weeks of shit. And That's then, why I'm surprised you don't smoke, dog. I did. <laughs> Give me, you know, whatever there was, I would smoke it. Give me whatever there was, I would <laughs> fucking take it. Or, you know, I had my share of doing, I was like a garbage disposal. When did you get sober? Um, I don't even remember. No, just. But we stayed. Me and Toons did it together, uh, because our crew was was vicious, you know. Yeah. Like, and we're the ones that used to push the line the most, you know. Yeah. If, if we had some shit and you didn't do it, you were gonna hear about it, you know. Ah, oh, you fucking pussy, man. What are you gonna do? Go to go to mommy's house or something? <laughs> like, what's wrong with you, man? You know, we're fucking just telling you here, you know, <laughs> hit this shit. And, uh, oh, but I got to go to work. Oh, I got to go to work. You know, yeah. Like, I'm scared of my boss. You know, like a little, you know. No, I get it. So we're we're ruthless when it yeah. came to that. So when it was time to, to stop partying, you know, Toon was like, hey, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit. And I was like, all right, cool. You can go ahead and quit. <laughs> and then all the homies were like, ah, this fool, what's he got to go to church? You got to go yeah. home to mommy. You know, he, like he, they were using all the lines. All the shit even told. And I was like, man, <laughs> let me get let me get with the homie because these dudes are too much, you know? Yeah. So I was like, hey, homes, I'll quit with you, you know? And because uh, I had like a little thing where I felt like, you know, this shit ain't, you know, is not a, is not a, is not a game, you know, you no. could, you could fall out at any time if you, you know, do too much or you do the wrong thing or you fuck up and a cop catches you and puts you in jail or you hit somebody and, you know, kill somebody. Yeah, in that car. shit happens quite a bit. Like, you know, then you realize, oh, maybe I have a problem when you're sitting in the cell. Mm -hmm. But up until that point, you're like, I'm just partying. Yeah, I'm good. You know, why is everybody tripping? I'm just partying, having a good time. And then it's when they're, you know, in the hospital or they're in the jail. So they're like, maybe I do have a problem, you know, or, or they fuck off everything they have. So, to, you know, I was talking to Tune. I was like, hey, homie, I'm thinking of quitting with you, you know, just so, you know, we can just, you know, get into power mode and fucking turn, you know, turn it up with the work. 
He's like, well, it's only a matter of time, Holmes. You see what happens to a lot of fools. You know, they fucking end up in, you know, they do something dumb behind being loaded. Exactly, End up bro. in prison or, you know, in go to jail, get a DUI, blah, blah, anything. blah. Anything's possible. Yeah, so I was like, you know what? Let's do this, homie. Fuck it. And um, we both got clean and sober and started smashing on the work. Yeah. Like, it was just like you know, job after job after job, and we were just fucking tearing it up. And uh, we are you know, we are like, man, this is it, you know? We found the, the the key to life, the solution is, you know, just get something you'd love to do, stay focused, and, and stay clean-headed, and, and everything else will fall into place. But y'all gave a lot of that energy back to the people. Oh, yeah, that, you know, that's what it was all about for us. Yeah. You know, for us, it was like... Uh, you know, what good is it if you can't help somebody? No, you know, 100%. Like, what like downtown, do? all of downtown loved y'all. Well, all yeah. the Skid Row, everything. Of course, bro. We, we did all they kinds of, uh, like, you know, helping the people, helping the community without telling anybody. Exactly. And putting cameras up. And yeah. Like, I see kids now, they're like, hey, at, at this time, I'm going to be down at Skid Row and I'm going to be throwing money. You yeah, know, it's insulting in the, the sense of the like homeless people, you know. And <laughs> I get that you're helping, IG, but exploiting you know, like, the fucking. Yeah, it's like it's not, that's not the one. No, y'all live. Y'all were down there. That's where home base was. And yeah. like you know, I remember seeing like Pepper and and these dudes that you've shot coming yeah. around and regularly. Like that was part of the deal, you know. Yeah, so you know, we we did all that shit out of love, out of our heart, and because we were there, we were in the community. You know, we were down there with the homeless. We seen. When, where our office was, it was called Skid Row. It wasn't called the Artist District. We are the artists. That people are like, hey, you know, what is this area here? Like, there's a lot of cool shit going on. There's like, oh, that's these artists and that's ours. Well, shit, if there's these artists here, why don't we just call it the Artist District? And then we'll raise the rent, like, um, <laughs> you know, from 7500 to 75000 and we'll just move in all the gentrification. And, and then, but what they forgot was, then the artists are going to move out. So yeah, now like there's an artist there district with no artists. With no artists. Yeah, just like a bunch of people walking around with poodles and... That shit trips you know, Office buildings. Pomeranians with trash bags in their little hand, picking up the shit and... Yeah. Dog parks, and you can get a, a kale a latte, you know, <laughs> fucking wrap and all kinds of other shit. No, nah, it's like, weird, bro, because you see man. people like... I was talking to some of my homies from, they're from like Crenshaw District, and they were talking about like going back to the neighborhood and seeing like some fucking tall Danish chick walking her dog through like, <laughs> and he's, he's like pulled over and he's like, do you need help? Where the fuck, do you know where you are? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> she's like, she's like, I live here. Yeah, and he's they're like, looking at you like, who the fuck are you? You know, yeah. <laughs> don't you got a hood to go back to? And you're like, damn, you know, we're here way 20 years before you. Yeah. That's like the last OG. Huh? Like the show, uh, yeah. Tracy Morgan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Tracy changed, got off the bro. bus. Yeah. <laughs> it was in Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, it's completely. This ain't, yeah, this ain't the Brooklyn. When we were down there, there was two places to eat. There was a Yoshinoya Bowl and the TV Cafe, mm -hmm. and that little Tokyo. Yeah. So there was no food. There was uh, one market. It was, I think it was called Fine Market. It was in East LA, next to the H Street Projects on Olympic. Yeah. And that's where we'd go to the market. And then once this started happening, like, you know, restaurants were popping up. We we're like, hey, this is kind of cool. You know, we have a new place to eat. 
Yeah. Oh, fuck, there's a coffee shop. Dope. You know, now we don't have to go to, you know, the gas station to get a, you know, dollar coffee. We can go get a fancy one. Yeah, exactly. So we're at the at the beginning. We're like, hey, this is kind of cool, you know. But then, it, you know, you just see it spread like a wildfire and you're like, God damn, you know, this is this ain't cool. You know more, you know, motherfuckers are looking at us like like we looked at the homeless people when we got there they yeah we we're like fuck are these dudes are gonna break in our car you know because <laughs> it was still desolate came, down there then it wasn't like yeah. you didn't go to downtown la it was yeah. business then it closed up and that was it bro it was tumbleweeds and shit everyone some, that came to our office for a meeting got their car broken into yeah and that's when we met pepper and we're like hey man can you can you do us a favor? He's like, what's up? And I, he's like, you know, because they're always like, give me a dollar, give me a dollar, yeah. give me a dollar. And we're like, I'll give you a dollar if you stay here and watch the cars. How about five dollars? You yeah. know, you just kick it right here, watch the cars. Okay, I got you, I got you. And they would just kick it there, give them the five bucks, and we just, you know, gradually like, hey, you know, go to where he stayed. Be like, hey, Pep, we got a meeting at this time. Can you come to the office? You know, come to the studio. Yeah, what time? 12 o'clock. Okay, cool. We got a 20. Just watch, yeah. watch the cars for he an had a hour. Little, he had a little, he so had a little that, business. Yeah, so he, like, we, we had a couple of those, the homeless homies down there that we would put them to work. You know, we're like, hey, man, we got a meeting. We give them, you know, a good hourly wage. Yeah. Because they would tell the other homies, hey, not these cars. Keep it exactly. moving. Exactly. Keep know? it pushing, so, yeah. Because what they would do is they'd roll up with um, pieces of the toilet, the, the porcelain, yeah. Or the porcelain off of, of um, spark plugs. Yeah, it makes no noise. Like just a little crumbs, and you just sit, throw yeah. it against the window and just go shh. Yeah, I remember that. We used and to do that shit when we were kids. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, nobody hears nothing. Before you know it, you're, they've rifled through oh, your yeah, car. Oh, yeah, it's done. It's a wrap. all your shit that wasn't worth no money, yeah. but it, it had value to you because it was like your phone book or remember you know, C- I remember shit. CDs getting your shit stolen. Your CD. CDs getting stolen. I had my shit stolen like... Like twice, three times. And you know it's a collection, bro. You got like yeah. fucking 300 of them in the whip. Because it was back then. You had yeah. books of them and shit. If you got hit for your CDs, I'd be like, fuck. Yeah, I got to go got start me. the collection again. Yeah, back to Tower Records. That's it. <laughs> hours of fucking Tower Records. You know? Huh? Yeah. Shit gets stolen, you just they might get your smoking. weed, too. You never know. Oh, that is the worst. They got my car from a Commerce oh, Casino one time. I was, at, I was playing cards all night. Um, it was probably like early 2000s. And they straight took my shit, took my keys out the valet box, and took my whip, dog. I came out in the morning, and... The whole car was gone. Gone, gone, bro. And I see the... I I played cards all night. I was tired. I won, though. I had a good night. I walked outside, and I'm at the valet, and it's taking these fools too long. You know what I mean? And I could just see that they're (laughs) flustered. One runs back to the lot, then he comes back, and by the second time, the dude ran back, and they start talking to each other. I'm like, oh, shit, my shit's gone. Or they don't know where it's at. Either, Either one or the other. You know, 30 minutes later, a... You can't live in that. We think we think, uh, we think uh, we think somebody got your whip, <laughs> <laughs> and they found it. They found it at City of Angels Hospital right there, and it was a normal shit. All my change was gone. I no, had a your ashtray full of like roaches because I was I was smoking heavier than it. I would just put out like full joints. That yeah. shit was gone. Yeah, and that's like, what you was upset. And my about. CDs. Yeah, I was mad about the about yeah. the ashtray. I used to do that too. When they stole I would, my radio. Uh, I didn't care. It was when they stole that. I would Damn. like, even if I wasn't going to smoke them again, I would get it full, and then I would pull up next to one of the homies on the side of the street or somebody <laughs> out there for change, and I would give them that shit, and they would get laced, bro. You imagine just being out there? I'd much rather fucking have a, a big-ass thing full of half-smoked fire-ass joints at that time. That wasn't even no Reggie. I was smoking good weed. They'd be stoked. That's crazy. <laughs> you know? One time, uh, the 
One time we were at a Reseda doing a House of Pain show. Yeah. And I had a briefcase and it had the petty cash. We were, it was like a Friday night and like on the Monday we were going to go to Europe for a tour. So I had all the plane tickets, all of our passports, and the money for the petty cash for that whole trip. Yeah. A couple of G's. So we're doing the show and I'm down there, you know, thinking that the homies are watching the, the dressing room. <laughs> And I'm down there packing up the turntables and the and the mixer and everything. And I come back to the room with all the equipment and like there's not really anybody there that we know. And I go, where the fuck is everybody at? And I go up to the, I'm looking around for my briefcase. I'm like thinking, okay, cool. None of the homies are there. They grabbed it. They, they grabbed it for me because they know I'm down there handling all their shit, all their equipment. I go, hey, you know where the, my briefcase is? Ma, I was in the room last time I saw it. Hey, you know where the briefcase? Nope. I ain't seen it. You know where the briefcase? Nope. I'm like, so nobody knows where the briefcase is. And, no, man, that's your briefcase. I go, yeah, but those are your turntables and that's your mixer. And I have to do that shit. I can't be here with my, my briefcase and be there doing the equipment. You guys are here. I'm over there. Can you know? Can we watch each other's back? And they're like, sorry, Holmes. I don't know where it is, you know? So... I was like, well, fuck it, it's gone, you know? Hopefully we get to go on tour on Monday because now we don't have no passports, no plane tickets, and no money. So, you know, hopefully so, somehow, some way, that shit miraculously a- appears and we, we get to go. <laughs> so that day I go home and, uh, you know, mad, pissed off, and uh, my mom calls me. She's like, uh, did you lose your briefcase or something like that? I go, why? And she goes, because somebody called here and they said that they found it in the trash can. And I go, okay, well, what'd they say? And they go, well, they left a number. So if you want it, you know, you got to call this guy in this number. So I called the dude up. I'm like, hello? You know, uh, my mom said you you had my, because I guess somewhere in the briefcase there was something that had my mom's number in it. And that's the number they called. Because I didn't live at home, you know, I had my own spot. And, uh, Mom calls me up, and so I call homeboy up, and I go, hey, what's up, man? Uh, did you find a briefcase? He goes, yeah, I found it in the dumpster. I go, okay, cool. Where are you located? You know, we're at the Reseda Club. Yeah. My briefcase ended up on 108th and Western. What the fuck? That's what I said. <laughs> I like, what the fuck? And I go, it's a hey, long-ass trip. Yeah, and it was one of those metal metal cases. Yeah, that okay. You had the combination, <laughs> yeah, too, yeah, so yeah. these dudes pried it open. Yeah. And I go, hey, homie. Like, is it just a briefcase or what? what's in it? He goes, there's passports and plane tickets. Perfect. And these little, like, <laughs> these little tapes, which were the show show tapes. And I go, fuck, yeah. So I went and got a couple hundred bucks out of the, out of the ATM. Yeah. I was like, I'm on my way, G. Um, and I went down there, met up with this fool at the gas station where he found it in the trash. Yeah. And um, <laughs> gave him, you know, a couple hundred bucks. I go, hey, homie, thank you. You know, you fucking, you know, you came through for me. Like, this this saves my job, yeah. you know? So, you know, here's all I could do. Here's a little tip. And, you know, I got the tickets, the passports. And, you know, of course, everything else was gone. But at least I had the, the things that we needed to work. That's what you work. needed to go back to work. Yeah, yeah. Like, I had my tools. So. Yeah. It's crazy how that happens, too. And and your oh, mom's is the one. The your mom's is the one that calls you and lets you know too. Strangely, oddly enough. Yeah, she would get all the calls. Yeah. There's a detective calling. What'd you do? What do you mean? I don't know. He said you did something. I don't know. What happened? What did he say? 
And, uh, she was the the original, <laughs> the original somehow, message. Somehow, you know? like everything, everything would go, go through her. her. her uh, her um, answering machine. I'm sure that's that's that was God's will too. <laughs> they had to the get they had to get past the first uh, gatekeeper and shit. Yeah, every last would be like, "Well, what do you mean?" And he's like, "I don't trip, homie. I got you know, I got you the law. I got a lawyer for you. I got you covered." So I was like, "Cool, thank you, man." He came through like you know, like an angel. Um, what's new on uh, Horizon? Not much, man. From the, the camp, the um, coronavirus is here. I yeah. didn't get it yet. I've tested twice. I'm clean. Yeah. <laughs> it's really strange, too, because no, most no people work. in my business had it. Um, I got sick in March. I'm pretty sure that's what it was, but I I did when I had been tested twice. I've tested negative, and I've been exposed afterwards. But it, my daughter got it and yeah. from, her, from her boyfriend's mom, and uh, she was quarantined for 30 days. No symptoms, but it acts weird. Yeah. My business partner as well, he got sick. He was gone for like 30 days, but... Uh, but his kids are, uh, his kids all tested positive, no symptoms. But I, I know some people that I got that have gotten pretty sick too. Yeah, I didn't. I only had one homie that got it that I know of, and then uh, I, I knew a couple people this second round because it seemed like there was kind of two rounds of it. Yeah. I only knew one person that got it the first time. He just had to stay home, and he got better. This time around. I know some people that, you know, they got it, but they didn't, uh, they were all quarantined. But you know how it is, like, you, you always know somebody else who knows somebody that, that died of it. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. I'm, I'm just staying healthy and uh, staying out of the way. But, you know, I still got to get out there and function. So. Of course, yeah. Yeah, life def definitely has to go on. I see football came back today. Um, that's a... It was unbelievable. Yeah, Dietrich's a big football fan, so you yeah. know he was happy. It's been a That's while. Coach, it's actually crazy because we have baseball, basketball, playoffs, and and football all at the same time. Like, and they skipped the preseason. Today was like week one. It's crazy. That's never happened before to have all those sports all all going on. Yeah, history's been changed. The America. documentary, uh, the documentary did amazing um, <laughs> on Netflix. It was really really good. I saw that um, when it first dropped. That was dope. Um, what's up with the uh, you got any books or anything on the horizon? Yeah, I'm working on a lowrider book, uh, 25 years of lowriding around the world. And I'm going to show, like, you know, like I said, I had the, I bought the car in 89, so I had pictures of that when it was like a rust bucket. To, but I wasn't really shooting then, so I just have a very few amount of photos of the car when I first got it and the first time I built it. And I've probably rebuilt it like four to five times up till now. I still have the car. And I've redone the paint, interior, the hydraulics, the sounds, the motor, you know, like probably three, four, five times on one of those things. So um, it'll show the evolution of me in low riding and me in photography and me uh, kind of uh, doing what I'd say taking the, the culture and the flag with me all around the world. Yeah. And... Because it's in, very popular in, in everything in, that I do in the Asian cultures as well now over in Japan and China and yeah. I seen a I seen a dude from Beijing that definitely has like a South Side tattoo style that's that's pretty popping out there right now and yeah. obviously I know you guys had a had a what up though um, had a influence on it for sure obviously with the culture going that way yeah. it trips me out every time I see uh, I see the Japanese cats uh, uh, that are like 
all super trolled out, Dickies, High Sox, yeah. Cortez. It's like a whole wave. Um, and putting together the lowrider book like that is kind of like, you know, that's dope because that's part of the lowrider culture in itself is taking something and yeah. and just polishing it and polishing it and polishing it and then they become these showpieces. Yeah, all, all the books that I've done are like 20 to 25 years worth of, of photos. So it's, you know, it's a cool process. It takes forever, but it is a lot of fun and you go through a lot of emotions because you just, you know, those are, there's so many parts in your life and a lot of people like remember them or they think they remember them, but they're not sure. But when you have photographs. Yeah, it brings back that, that memory. It's like, you know, like they say now it's receipts, you know? So yeah. it's like, it's, it's, um, it's a cool process to go through to see all pictures of all your old homies and your family and even the culture, you know, what it's been through, you know? Yeah. When I was around in the 90s, it was like the second wave of low riding because like the 70s and 80s had their the first wave that yeah. kind of like seemed like it fizzled out. And then the 90s, it hit again really hard to where everybody was going to those low rider shows. And uh, that was like the meat market, you know, that was Tinder for us. Yeah. You go to a car show, you're getting some. And, you know, that, that was the, the way of that was a way of life for us back then, you know. You go to car shows and there was packs of girls, like four, yeah. four or five girls in yeah, each. Yeah, people had pack. bread at that time too. Yeah, real yeah, estate no. market was cracking. Yeah, OG was really popping. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. The nineties were. <laughs> yeah, that was coming out of the Reagan era into Clinton, and people were getting money. It's different. Like you said, yeah. you were having you know twenty and thirty and eighty thousand dollars. They were doing million dollar music videos oh, at yeah. that time. You I know? was like the low budget underground yeah. guy. There was guys I mean, doing a million to million. 1.5 yeah. million dollar videos. It's crazy. Like those old, you know, Hype Williams videos like yeah. Busta Rhymes or P. Diddy or Missy Elliott. So those videos were one, 1 million, 1. 1.5, like Mariah Carey and all that shit. I was like, damn, man, I, I don't know if I'll ever get to that level, but that shit is dope, you know? They're making three-minute movies with full-feature movie budgets yeah you know now if you get if you can get like a million or a million five you can do a full-fledged feature, feature film. film like a, a well done one at that yeah pretty good you yeah. know decent crew decent quality you know yeah a low budget movie then i mean they had you, you could pull something off for a million two million but a low budget studio film would be like six million seven million dollars yeah we shot sandlot for like seven million i think yeah and that shit had a lot of like built sets and shit like that and like a full-on production shoot but that wasn't a lot of money at the time. That was like, yeah. there was nothing, you know? It was below the radar. Exactly. That was them being like, all right, it's worth it's worth spending. I oh, would give them five or six million. And yeah. Figure it out. Hopefully it does well. <laughs> yeah. Um, yo, I guess that's the, that's the couple minutes. Okay. Um, everybody should go follow you on uh, Instagram. Yeah, they got to do that. It's at uh, Esteban Oriol. And just, you know, the spelling of my name, I keep everything simple, you know? Yeah. My and then website, if they want merch, you got the killer merch. Stevanorio.com. Um, yeah. Real, real simple. And, uh, I seen your stuff at the, the LA airport. I was super stoked when I seen it there when I was too. going on a trip. Yeah. yeah. That's a great spot. And that honestly, like, yo, for a tourist to get that piece of LA memorabilia, that's yeah. LA for real. That's and what that's, it's supposed, that's exactly, how it should be, bro. You know? That's not some little candy ass shit that yeah. somebody made and is is making money off the city. That's that real like, that's the culture. That's what people know yeah. of uh, 
if you, they know not Hollywood but Los Angeles, that's yeah, that's, that's the vibes. What, that's what they should be taking home with them because yeah. you know there's other brands that try to do it and you know copy me and shit and they're not even in the country and they're they're blowing it out you know so to to be able to have a place where people can get the real shit you know from somebody really from LA that you know grinded in the streets here you know can't ask for more than that. No, that's what it's about. Uh, I can't wait to see the Lowrider book. Um, I got this. Is this the L.A. Portraits? I think this is the L.A. Portraits book here. Yeah, this is my second one. Yeah. Um, L.A. Woman was the first one, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, I found this through the publisher because you were sold out of it even too. But uh, yeah. it's got the famous, the L.A. Hands picture on it and uh, a lot of gang culture in here, which I like uh, yep. that you've been able to walk into all these neighborhoods and really show people like that there is like, you know, people seeing colors in these movies and shit, but this yeah. is like a, this is a real deal LA culture and like neighborhood by neighborhood, it varies and changes. And that's really LA. I like to, to see you. Uh, I don't think anybody does a, as good of a job at, at laying it out the way it actually is, you know? Yeah, they try though. They try, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But not. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you gotta be welcomed into the hood to even to even put it put it like that so you know yeah now everybody has a cousin you know they're like yeah hey, exactly can I come take a picture of you yeah. and get some of your homies and <laughs> and have another guy bring a lowrider and yeah you know have a girl dress up like a chola and you know now it's just like a lot of the, the photo shoots i see are like dress up shoots you know but this is all the 90s shit you know so yeah it's dope and it's meant to be because like you said you're shooting on film and it ain't no spray and spray and pray like these dudes get to do now on yeah. their phones and their camera phones that was like yo bro i got like four rolls of film and i'm i'm fucking down here in in you know bounty hunters hood and i'm trying to get a shot of these fools in their element and yeah and it's got to be good too when you go develop it or it yeah, ain't yeah. you know and then you got to come back to them and show them like what you did exactly because they're going to ask. They're, yeah, they're, they're like letting you into their their yeah. world and their life for that, that little bit. And, you know, you're a guest. And if you come with some whack shit, they're going to let you know, you know? Yeah. So. That's not good for the, that's not good for the rep for sure. Yeah. Luckily, I, I you know. Handle business? Yep. Yeah. my thing. That's what's up. I appreciate it, man. Um, I enjoyed all the stories. Uh, thank you for taking your time and coming down here on a Sunday. No problem. For Middle sure. of the day. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Keep laughing at. <laughs> Till next time. Thank you. You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio.